0: Titterpigs, the RPG podcast. (laughs) Am I getting paid for this one?
1: Alright, welcome back to another episode of Titter Pigs. Scott and I are back in the studio tonight for episode 30. Holy shit, Scott. 3-0. <laughs> we are getting old.
2: We we are definitely getting old. Uh, but we're, we're actually getting old, but we're also getting younger at the same time because next month is going to be what for us? We are gonna celebrate the terrible twos. The terrible twos. The we've been doing this <laughs> this silly little podcast that uh for over two years now, and uh, with with that comes the ability we can now go pee-pee by ourselves. Uh, Yay! We, we, we can put our shoes on, although we don't know how to tie them yet, but... yeah, uh, got Velcro, bro. It, well, lazy ass. Uh, I, actually, <laughs> I, I probably wore cowboy boots at that time, too, because it was the 80s. Um, the slip-ons. <laughs> but yeah, so, so 30 years old and two years... Uh, Doing this this podcast, this grand experiment of ours that uh, justifies our uh, our middle aged um, uh, existence, our midlife crisis, our midlife crisis. Yes, and who who would have thought that uh, you know two white guys with grain beers would do a podcast for the midlife crisis? Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I've never. But here we are. Yeah, coming up on two years.
1: This is our 30th episode. We're going strong. Yeah. We've got a good, solid listener
2: base. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So so let's get into episode 30. Let's, let's, let's have a little little discussion here about something that might let's be gr- do this. grinding our gears for a little bit before we actually get into our interview. Uh, but uh, so, yeah. So again, I'm going to throw the ball back at you for a layup. What are we going to talk about first? All right. So in our
1: opening segment
2: for this episode, uh, if listeners for,
1: might remember that we talked about in episode 29, our any picks uh, for the 2023 ennies in the various categories, we had two special guests with us yes, and we all threw out our specific hopes and dreams for each category, <laughs> what our personal preferences were. And some of them were, were chosen mm-hmm. by the general population that voted uh some of our hopes and dreams were dashed on the rocks of right. well yeah uh, well, the general public well which but we're gonna go ahead what's that
2: no i said, I said we actually the, these our hopes or dreams were dashed live because we we did watch them well let, I, let me backtrack a little bit okay. i know you and other people watched them live and you told me the next day that i did also but i don't remember any of it um, well, that's because you
1: were drunkard and <laughs> a skunk, and your eyes weren't crossed; they were counter-crossed. You I, I, were looking I, I, sideways. I, I, it, it was
2: beautiful. Oh, I, and I'm sure I was demure, quiet, no shouting, no 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 your babbling head kept on. banging on your microphone. <laughs> have you
1: a few times. Well, but anyways, uh, listeners, yes, uh, we are going to um, we're going to kind of reach back and we want to we want to revisit, yeah, uh, and talk about some of the nominees and the silver and gold winners and give a and then also give a couple of shout outs uh to some winners. Right. Um and then from that we'll probably roll into our main segment. So yeah. uh Scott, who are we going to which category are we going to talk about first?
2: Well, the the first one we're going to talk about is is one that is a favorite of mine. I, as people may know I'm a big tabletop RPG art fan and I do feel that art is important in in all things in in your books, in your adventures, and things that you do. It's it's what's going to draw you in and especially a cover. So what we're going to talk about first is the Best Art nomination for a cover. So we we have... Uh, the nominees were Blackbirds uh, by Dave Raposa, uh, Historica Arcanum by Yagmir Kayak. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, Shiver Gothic, uh, Secrets of Spire Home Special Edition by Ben Alexander, Swords of the Serpentine, or teen, if you're here in the states, uh, by Jerome uh, Huguenin and Xanadu, a Nibiru expansion by Piorter uh, Gajda, 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 yeah. That's, I think, yeah. I mean, again, sorry for butchering your name, but we we try. So, those are the nominees, Keith. Uh, who won?
1: So coming in at, in the silver category or silver winner was Swords of the Serpentine mm. and for the gold was Historica Arcanum. Right. Now for for those of us that voted <laughs> or anybody any of the listeners that abstained from voting or maybe just looked at the the collage of the, the collage. covers yeah. you you may recall that Historica uh, Arcanum mm-hmm. is the one that was a skull it was a it was a Beautiful looking skull, but it had a painted on mustache. It just looked kind of silly, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. There were there were better <laughs> covers than than that. Uh, and Swords of the Serpentine, in my opinion, is an okay cover, mm. but it was the least attractive cover of the five.
2: I I will I I, I will kind of uh, disagree slightly because. Uh, again, I, you know, uh, historic arcana, uh, do, No one voted for that, at least in our group, uh, that I can recall. Uh, None of us did. Yeah, yeah. that wasn't the top. And again, this is not detracting from the skill uh, that is required to do, do the to, to do these covers. But of course, you're voting for your favorite one, the ones you think looks the best. It is art, and it's subjective. Anyways, it's a skull with fangs, with fangs and a mustache, and, and mind you, a very well drawn skull. In a, a, red fez. in a relatively, you know, a, a black background with, you know, silver lettering and, and a, you know, and a and a, uh, a frame, you know, surrounding the skull. I'm not looking at it. I'm just going off of memory. But, yeah, I just, I don't know. It just kind of boggled my mind. Like, I mean, not, not first off, we didn't vote for it. Second, it's like, um, I can think of a few other that might want to be here besides this. And yet it won what gold. What did you vote for? What, uh, what was your, what was Blackbirds. What was your pick? Mine
1: was Blackbirds. Blackbirds. Okay. I yeah. thought you and um, I think James voted for Blackbirds, too. He was mm-hmm. one of our special guests. Mm-hmm. And myself and Lloyd, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly, we both voted for Xanadu.
2: Yes. Yes. But
1: my second choice and and kind of like runner-up special mention was Shiver. I thought it was just, yeah. it has this uh, aesthetic to it that's just visually very pleasing. Yeah. So... But... Nobody chose Swords of the Serpentine because it's it's just an it's an okay cover. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Just like Historica and uh, Arcanum, is not bad. It's no. just there are better choices,
2: right? But it was a shocker. It was a shocker. Yeah. Th- this is this is that probably was up-
1: that w- that was a, what like in sports that's an upset.
2: You it's know, a, it's an upset. This was probably the one, the first one that I banged my head against the mic over. Just like, well, are you effing kidding me? Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah, those it were it w- some of the words you used. Yes, it, it was it was an upset, but. But again, <laughs> um, art is subjective. All of these nominations are very talented in in their own right. But personally right. speaking, neither of us felt that you know the gold winner should have been given to Historica Arcanum. So right. And please, Metis Creative, do not uh, unsubscribe from our podcast. Uh, we still love you. Yes, we still love you. And it's just it's it's you know, it's just personal uh, opinion on art. So yeah. All right. Don't <laughs> take it personally.
1: Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to jump over to best cartography because we all had some some opinions on the cartography on the cartography yes. front. <laughs> um, so in this category, there was the Blade Runner RPG starter set from Free League mm-hmm. by Christian Granath. Mm-hmm. Uh, the campaign builders, cities and towns maps folio from Cobalt Press uh, by Sarah Morris, John Pintar and Tommy Salama Salama. Salama. I, uh, Salama. If I'm yeah. mispronouncing it as anybody, I apologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claw Claw Atlas, new maps for beak, feather, and bone from Possible World Games. Yeah. Uh, by Jonathan Yi. Duck Quest from Exalted Funeral uh, by Darcy Perry. And High Guard Update 2022 from Mongoose Publishing. Mm-hmm. That's by David Dyson, uh, Gare Lannis Cog, Jeremy Rector, James. Sagu and Adrian Times, yeah. and I butchered that some more too. <laughs> so, hey, welcome to Titter Pigs, right?
2: So, yeah, I mean, again, this, this is another bit of, uh, you know, art is subjective. Uh, it is. But, but, and we won't go into too much detail, but, but innies, um, you know, be sure and do a collage for the, the cartography nominees. Uh, because there, Yes, there's, please. If, if you want us to vote, we need to see what makes them so special. Um, and if it's art, since you already do it for the interior and the cover, do it for cartography because of that, um, there might, there, there might've been a change in, you know, the actual winners in my opinion. Uh, so anyways, um, how was your, uh, you know, how my were your hopes feelings? And dreams were dashed on the rocks, right? What was your pick? Duck quest, duck quest. Okay.
1: I thought the map had this just this very old school reminded me of something from like Ultima Four, Ultima Five Days. Mm. Just just kinda had this old school aesthetic to it. Um from my childhood. I just I I don't know, just it was it was pleasing to look at. Mm-hmm. I but I had to go, I had to follow the link for Duck Quest over to Exalt the Funeral, which they had a map there and I had to click on it to expand it out. Yeah. Meh it would have been nice to have a collage that I could click into and then see a larger view of it. It would have mm-hmm. been nice, right? Um, and the other things, eh, I mean, the silver winner was Claw Atlas. <laughs> oh, because we haven't said that yet. And <laughs> the winner, the gold winner, was Blade Runner. And I, and I still, this yeah. blows my mind. Is the Blade Runner RPG <laughs> starter set right? Very utilitarian maps. There's nothing wrong with the maps.
2: with the cartography in these yes. maps. There's
1: yes. nothing, but they're
2: utilitarian. Yes, they're, they're, they're sterile. They are, I mean, and to be perfectly honest, you could swap them out with any one of the alien maps, and you probably wouldn't know the difference. Um, I, You know, it's the same aesthetic. And again, uh, um, just a, a, a usable, serviceable map, uh, you know, detailed in itself. If I was looking at a computer of a, Top down right. map on a video game that, that it would be perfect, and that's the aesthetic they're, they're looking for. But again, cartography is is one part usability and other part one part art, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so right, but uh,
1: nothing sets it for that for the gold winner. Nothing sets it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Again, just Keith's opinion. Right, nothing sets it above and beyond anything else that was there yeah. at least with the duck quest it, in my opinion mm-hmm. it it had usability functionality it was a a world map it, it you know it had mm-hmm. things on the map it would it had labels i mean it it wasn't just you know utilitarian yeah. it it had a, a a bigger broader appeal and feel to it and again just my yeah. opinion but yeah
2: but but I do feel because Claw Atlas to me that that's I didn't I didn't pick that. In fact, that would have been the bottom of my list. Uh, I think James did uh, again, not because of anything other than the fact that out of the, out of the five, I just felt their maps were a bit boring. Uh, you know, they they were black and white. They were a bit um, adolescent in their design, and maybe that's the aesthetic they were going for. It is. But but if you hold that up. You know, it, there's maps in there. If you hold that map up to the world map of Duck Quest, there's no comparison. Yeah, true uh, du- story. Duck Quest, it, you know, just just outshines it in, in all areas. Yeah. But yeah, so another one that was not as upsetting as some of the other categories, but was just kind of like, what? Because I, I think I voted for Blade Runner as the silver winner, just because out of, you know, all the others, we couldn't see them um, for the Fair. most part. Uh, and I had I played the game, so I knew them. But uh, still, it, it, it shocked me. That it was the gold winner too,
1: yeah. So speaking of upsetting, mm-hmm. let's go to an to an upset, <laughs> an absolute upset. So let's go to Best Family Game. Mm-hmm. Who was in this? What was in the category, Scott? Who were the nominees?
2: Well, we have Avatar Legends, the role playing game starter set uh, by Magpie Games. We have Color My Quest by Dice Up Games. We have Horseshoe Academy by Ninth Level Games. We have Princess Guard by Amalara Game Studio. And the goblins by Slow Quest. Now, out of those five categories, four of those kind of have the same feel to them, like they're actually designed and serviceable for a family with children. One of them, not so much. <laughs> ooh 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 ooh! Mister Carter, Mister Cada, pick me, pick me! S- sure, I can sure. Can figure it out. Yeah, what is it? Uh, I, I,
1: I'm gonna say it's Color My Quest. <laughs>
2: ah, wrong.
1: Oh, sorry, Mister Kata. <laughs> See me Would after it be Const. Avatar
2: Legend? I, I mean, yeah. And yeah. The, the gold winner, Avatar Legend. Um, so, I told
1: you, it was a shocker. <sighs> you banged your head on your microphone and your desk a few times. Yes. I can still see the thump, the, the bruise and the bump on your head.
2: <laughs> I mean, Color My Quest is specifically designed for you and your kids and your family to have a good time as an introduction to role-playing games. Uh, Princess Guard maybe a little bit step up. Uh, Horseshoe Academy the same way the goblins, but they all seem to be slotted specifically for younger children. Avatar, that, yeah,
1: that like six to ten year old. Yeah. you play with your kids. It's meant for parents to play with their children. Truly, the embodiment of family games. Right, Avatar Legends. You, you, yes, you can play with your family. I can, hell, I can play any game with my with my granddaughter mm-hmm. and and my kids. That's fine. Right. But Avatar Legends, I think it's a step up in complexity just outside the scope of really what this, what the rest of the nominees in this category are right. for. But I, I think, Scott, the one thing we don't know, because mm-hmm. I'm too lazy and can't be ours to go look it up, mm-hmm. is what, by category definition, what defines the family game for the Ennies though?
2: I mean, a- according to this list, I would say, does it have a cartoon character on the cover?
1: <laughs> well, that's by, the, by this list, but what, you know, so we've, we talked about it in right. episode 29. Yeah. You know, there's some confusion on what constitutes a podcast for God's sakes. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, as long as it's got audio, it doesn't matter that it's an entire YouTube channel. It yeah. can qualify as a podcast. Right. Love you, Seth. Congratulations, <laughs> Seth. <laughs> and we still love you, buddy. Um, you know, with that being said, it, what's the criteria for family game? It may still fit the criteria, even though we, you and I, mm-hmm. and probably many others personally disagree with it being a, you know, considered a family game when in context compared to the other games that it's racked and stacked
2: with. Yeah. Um, I'll give you, yes, what, I'm playing
1: devil's advocate.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go look it up, but I'll give you my opinion on what it should be. Uh, it it should be a game that it is easily digestible by a pair of parents who have never played an RPG before, and children anywhere between the ages of five and nine years old. I mean, that's my opinion on what it what it should be. Um, just because it has "starter" in the name and a cartoon character on the cover, and because it's on a a children's network, but let's be honest, Nickelodeon really hasn't been a children's network since you and I were children. Um, that it's not necessarily a family gamer product. So yeah, right. I mean that's 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 just it. It's it's just it's. I think there's a bit of definition, and this has been a, a point of contention for years with the NEs, It's just you know the title of the category versus what the hell do they mean by that? Um, and I don't think there's ever been a year where everyone fully agreed that the nominees underneath specific uh, category titles, people weren't shake, were, weren't scratching their head at one. Going so on. I just brought it up, so yeah. just to okay. continue the
1: conversation, yeah. since we, we, we are talking about it. So best family game or product? Mm-hmm. Award for the best role-playing game or product that can be played as a family. So <laughs> I think Cult would be a good family game.
2: Absolutely. I mean, any game you and I know, any game, you can modify the rules – to play with your family. And and it's also up to what you what content you feel that your children can can handle. Me right. personally, Colt right out of the box for your 5-year-old granddaughter, no problem. Um. Chef's kiss baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, maybe not so much, but right. yes. but
1: the point being there is no there's no definition to it. Right. To say that it's uh, under eighteen or under, you know, it needs to be PG rated or or whatever. So any game could be could be lumped into that so we'll category.
2: Yeah, exactly. So. so
1: yeah, again, and he's get your shit
2: together. I, I know, I know. Just, yeah. just, just, It's my make, gripe every year. Yeah. All right. All right. So, let's move on. Yes. So we we have another little. We're going to skip over a bunch of stuff because we're not going to sit here and go over every one. We're just going <laughs> to nope. go, go over some that we want to. Uh, touch on personally where the hell did it go best best layout oh uh, yeah best layout and design okay so so this is this is a um another one that uh that I think we wanted we're, to to discuss so yeah I'm, we're
1: both a little sore on this one
2: right okay so best layout and design keith what do we what do we got
1: all right, so in this category, there was the Blade Runner Core, RPG Core Rulebook from Free League, mm-hmm. Eldritch Overlord, Tarot, and Codex by uh, Weirdworks, LLC, mm-hmm. Frontier Scum by Games Omnivorous, uh, Nolan's Locks, uh, Exquisite Corpse by Liminal Artifact, and mm-hmm. Women Are Werewolves, Ninth Level Games. Yeah. So the silver winner was Frontier Scums, which we're going to come back to, yeah. and Blade Runner uh, RPG Core Rulebook, which was the
2: gold winner. Right. Okay. So, Scott, what was your pick? I believe my pick was Frontier Scum. Without Keith, what was your pick? Oh, thanks
1: for asking, Keith. <laughs> so my pick was Frontier Scum. Right. And, well, I think I can answer, for say, for both Scott and I, we're both a little jaded that Frontier Scum did not get gold. Right. Because it is aesthetically fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. It looks like a Sears and Robot catalog when you open
2: it up. Right. I mean... It is great. And again, I, I just got my copy of the uh, Blade Runner core rulebook. And uh, I went through it. Uh, 50% off, by the way. Yay. Uh, and again, Free League does have really good aesthetics with their layout they and, do. and design. But let's be honest. they are a, they're, they're, They are a bit. They do have it as a bit of a Free League template, if you know what I mean the aesthetics for blade runner do carry a bit of the blade runner movie um you know aesthetics and feel to it but the artwork is still blade runner but it's by the artist who does a lot of their other stuff um the the layout the is looks i mean again if you op- if i showed you a page from blade runner and a page from page from alien i guarantee you there'll be a page where you're like i don't know which which it's from uh if there wasn't like you know alien <laughs> in right. the name. there, there
1: there's some uh, very discreet similarities, yes. and there's some very overt
2: similarities between the two. Although, yes.
1: but there are some distinctions, yes, no, no
2: doubt. But I mean, you you open up a free league book. I, most people who who enjoy free league, you know, this is a free league book. Uh, oh but, yeah, there's but, no doubt what a free league book looks like.
1: It it yeah. has a a visual appeal to it mm-hmm. that is distinct unto itself. You know, Vazen books when you yeah. look at a Vazen book. Right. You know uh, some of their other Year Zero books, like Mutant Year Zero product yeah. line. You know when you open up any of the uh, Mutant Year Zero mm-hmm. variants in that product line, you know you're looking at one of the Mutant Year Zero books. Right.
2: But layout and design, again, it's just not um, utilitarian, right? Uh, it's part of it, but yeah. layout and design also has an artistic quality to it. Um, and I, I do, even though as good as Blade Runner RPG Core Rulebook is, Frontier Scum, hands down, uh, just outshines it, uh, to the nth degree. I I think so. Yeah. So this, this one just
1: takes those boxes.
2: And again, this, this was, I was probably deep into the live watching we were doing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you, you could have told me that I, I shouted for Blade Runner RPG core rulebook to win and I would have believed you. So, but anyways,
1: <laughs> no, you were banging your head against the desk. Yeah. That's all that, right. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. So that was, those are the four categories we wanted to kind of dip our feet back into and mm-hmm. take a moment to bitch moan and complain about. But we do want to give, uh, just a couple of quick shout outs to some folks. Yes. Some nominees and some winners. Um, the first one is uh, in the best rules category. Uh, Scott, who do we want to give a shout out to?
2: We want to give a shout out to uh, the wonderful people who designed, wrote, and created Rivers of London, the role-playing game. Um, all the wonderful people that, 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 uh, you know, that handled this book, uh, but most importantly, you know, Ben Aronovich, Graham Barber, Paul Fricker, Adam Gauntlet, Lynn Hardy. Gavin uh Inglis, Inglis uh Mike Mason uh Caris McDonald and Luca Sach but a gigantic shout out to my friend and yours and they did fix his name on here uh see that. Lloyd Jan. uh this 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 was nice to to be able to have a friend who, uh, you know, did get the silver winning s- silver winner for best rules and well-deserved by all. It is a fantastic book.
1: Absolutely. So, yep. Huge
2: shout out to the entire team, but especially to Lloyd and, and congrats po- Lloyd. And also a big shout out to the, any webmaster for fixing his name. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> all right. And then the last thing we want to do is just a general shout out to everybody, uh, uh, all the nominees in the mm-hmm. product of the year category. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that category, there was Broken Tales from the World Anvil Publishing, Eldritch Overlord, Tarot and Codex from Weird Works LLC, Fabula Ultima, Core Rulebook from Need Games. They were the silver winner, by the way. Flabbergasted the uh, Wanderers, uh, by the Wanderer's Tome, Household by Two Little Mice, or from Two Little Mice, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel from Wizards of the Coast, Rivers of London, the role playing game from Chaosium. Swords of the Serpentine from Pelgrim Press, Trophy RPG Box Set uh, from the Gauntlet Publishing Community, and Hedge, Hedge Maze Press, and Vazen RPG, Mythic Britain and Ireland from Free League Publishing, which was the gold winner. So mm-hmm. shout out to all 10 of those. Mm-hmm. All fantastic nominees, all worthy of being there. And the, gold, the silver, as I said, was Fabula Ultima, which I then proceeded to go out and pick up for my son because he loves <laughs> uh, Japanese... Um, video games and jrpg stuff so i got it for him and then vazen mythic uh britain and ireland won gold so congrats to everybody
2: right so yeah no congrats to everyone um so keith do we have do we have anything else to, to bitch and moan about i don't think so not today all right well, I think that concludes the first part of this episode, so if we have nothing else to, uh, to moan and grouse on about, let's get on to the interview and get to why the people are actually here for this episode, uh, Ian Sharp and his wonderful RPG, When the Wolf Comes. Hello listeners, Scott here, and I hope you are enjoying this episode of Titter Pigs. Do you know that we're now monetized on Spotify? That's right. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help sustain future episodes and other special events. All you need to do is go to our Spotify homepage, click the About section, and there you will find the support link, or click the link in the description. Know that Keith and I really appreciate any support we get from our listeners, no matter if it's a bit of pocket change or simply sharing titter pigs with other people. And now, back to the episode. <music>
1: welcome back listeners today we are back in the studio with us is Ian sharp welcome Ian thank you very much for having me on awesome
2: yeah no welcome aboard it, it's nice to have you here and uh, we'd like to uh oh there there is a there's a cattail uh, on the yes. screen listeners it, this makes for good podcasting but uh, anyways we have to point that out. Uh, this will stay in the episode, too, because, you know, she's now officially the third titter pig. Uh, well, anyways, Ian...
0: the, the, the tail is signaling. You know, it's a bit <laughs> like uh, it's a bit like semaphore, a bit, a bit like flags It's giving me all kinds of cues and indications.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, 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 I digress like we always do in this show. But uh, but yes, uh, Ian, welcome here. And we are here to talk about. Um, a, a very interesting setting that uh, that, that has fallen to our laps the uh, uh, the Viking verse, which is a, a, a series of comic books and the RPG uh, when the wolves come that uh, that were inspired uh, by these by these comics. But um, but before we dive into that, uh, we tend to use the we do the usual rigmar- rigmarole for our listeners for who are interested in your background and your introduction to gaming. So uh, what was little Ian's uh, first dive into the uh, role-playing game world?
0: Well, hopefully it's a rigmarole and not rigor mortis, but um, <laughs> the, the first thing that I picked up when I was a kid was ad and 2nd Edition, I suppose. Although it did have the red... Box the old do you, again because I come from the UK. You might you might have gleaned that from my golden tonsils here. But <laughs> the um, in the UK we had the red basic D and D box. And I, at age twelve, I remember running a D and D club, and there was an adventure in that box, which was this you know, usual kobolds and carrion crawlers, and you know you'd, you'd assemble your party and wander into that dungeon. And because I was quite new and learning, I took a whole class of 32 people through that dungeon and didn't have the wherewithal or the savvy to realise that. I needed to kind of upgrade the number of kobolds. So, you know, as you can imagine, taking a a small army of 32 12-year-olds with crossbows and short swords made short work of the one carrying core of four kobolds. (laughs) and. and that was that. I think the next week, not so many people came back to D D club, but uh, that was that was where it all started. But the 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 kind of inspiration for uh, me as a kid was Warhammer. I got mm-hmm. into Warhammer, Warhammer fantasy role play. I preferred that dark, gritty, old world European fantasy to the high fantasy of um, of D and um, mm-hmm. You know, I, and so we played many campaigns uh, of Warhammer, played a lot of the tabletop battle stuff, was a, was an early uh, adherent of 40K, you know, because those, that, that game came out when I was a teenager as well. And then all of the 2000 AD comic stuff, you know, the Judge Dread, the Rogue Trooper, the Nemesis, the Warlock. Um, the fighting fantasy game books published by Ian Livingston. All mm-hmm. of that stuff was, was my manner from heaven. And as a child of divorce, I would then, you know, tug on the heartstrings of, uh, of parents to, oh, I, I really need this new release, <laughs> this new game. Please <laughs> buy it for me. And sorry for that, mother and father. If you ever listen to the podcast, <laughs> that's, that's just how manipulative I was as a small child.
2: Oh I I I get that. My my mother had a, uh, a a ruling precedent for me my me and my brothers was she always she always wanted us to be readers. And there was a rule in the house, you know, if 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 there if you ever if there ever was a book that you wanted um, and it wasn't available at the library, we would do our best to get it for you because she wanted us to enjoy uh you know the love of reading like she was. Well, of course the same manipulation occurred. Well, of course it did. mother. This you gotta you know, understand. Once I opened the box, inside it's reading materials like you couldn't even imagine. She's like, but it's a game. I'm like, but I'm reading. And so <laughs> yeah. the poll was, you know, the you know, the, the tug of war began, and eventually I I I won over. But yeah. yeah that, you know,
0: listen, we, we wouldn't know words like press the digitation if we hadn't played D D, right? We D D does teach you. Uh, a rich and and wild vocabulary of, you know, just, just the strangest words. and And I'll just, you know, just, I'll pivot slightly to this because it is, it, oh, I think it's interesting. Just some mm-hmm. of the words for, that we use in role playing, whether it's, you know, cleric or barbarian or mage, all of these are actually really old words. Right. They're, they, the, the, the role players and authors are, are tugged from history. You know, a, a, a paladin, for example, was the, uh, the royal guard of the palace. And that's, you know, that's where we get the, the, the paladin from is a French word. We're familiar with the, the bards, um, and the, the druids and where they come from the Celtic mythology. But, uh, you know, Everything barbarian, that's a Greek word. Mage comes from the, the, uh, the Persian tradition. And then there are some key words that come from the Norse tradition, which, you know, which we can wax lyrical about later. You know, fighter is a very old English word. Thief is an old English word. or you know, stems from the old Norse, the kissing cousin language. Um, you know, the, uh, of, you know, of course, the berserk and things like that. But there were, all of these things are just really old words and, and we wouldn't use them in our role-playing lexicon if we weren't all inherently fascinated by language and, and how it sounds and how cool it is and how it brings things to life. So I completely get it, you know, reading um, just unlocks all of that imagination. There's so mm-hmm. many great etymological discussions that can come from RPG.
2: Right. And, but I I do wish uh, at least the the earlier books did provide uh, pronunciation guides for a lot of the words because there's nothing more embarrassing than when you utilize one of these words in front of a group of people and realize that you've been mispronouncing, you know, these wonderful words for many, many years and no one had the heart to tell you that, you know, you've been embarrassing yourself since you were 19. Um, Well, uh, uh, Scott, can you give us an example?
1: (laughs) Yeah, which was your worst?
2: uh, Oh, I, I'd, I'd have to. Oh, oh, God. I I know I was mince, mispronouncing. Was it uh, homunculus? Um, I don't remember how I was saying it incorrect. I'm dyslexic. So a lot of times the way I read words, I will miss letters or something, and then it will just stick over time because I'm pronouncing it in my head. Yeah. And until I finally say the word out loud in front of a group of people, and I, I, I remember that. I had mispronounced that. I don't remember how badly it was, but that was one that stuck in my mind so much so that you know, you know, homunculus, homunculi, homunculi, whatever. Um, that was one that I wanted to maintain in in my brain to never embarrass myself again. But it, it will still continue. There, will be many.
0: There's a good one from our table where uh, where someone was very convinced that the word phlegm, which is you know a difficult word to spell, was pronounced phlegum, and. You know, sp- spraying splagum over people when you cough is uh, was was interesting. But the, the the thing is, you know, again, separated by a common language because I'm mm-hmm. from across the across the water. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you say beta, but but I say beta, and so do uh, technically the ancient Greeks say beta as well. And mm-hmm. I've never been able to fathom how somehow in North America everyone says beta when it. He clearly isn't and never it was is Peter. So you can introduce that and the, and don't get me started on on aluminum, aluminium. <laughs> oh my god! Every have- single part of the periodic table ends i u m. It's kind of obvious. Aluminum yeah. just that's a spelling mistake that Mister Webster made
2: when he did his we, dictionary. I know what Keith is going to say. Go ahead, Keith. We we have had this discussion
1: on many occasions in our Friday night hubs, which are Predominantly Brits.
2: UK, yeah. Yeah.
1: And <laughs> Scott and I are the token Americans. There's a couple of token Canadians. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, we're, but, we're 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 the odd people out.
0: Yeah. We're annoying we're, like that, the British just pointing out spelling mistakes wherever we go. Yeah.
2: I mean, but at, at the end of the day, we have a nice pint and we all get along and listen to the uh the rock stylings of ZZ Top. But yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's
0: that's 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 a good one. That's a good that's a good comeback. But 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 you know, there's another band called the Beta Band, uh, who are British (laughs) when they when they went on tour and everyone was saying, you know, the the Beta Band, it's like, who are these people? Is it we've got we've got these we've got these imposters, anyways? Oh, Um,
2: yeah, so so I mean interesting because i mean you, you do kind of fall in line with with a lot of the the standard you know the you most people that we know from the uk their their introduction usually was fighting fantasy or or warhammer a lot of, i mean D or adnd did fall in line but those usually weren't their first ones but as you said it did roll into a lot of the other ones you know you know the fighting fantasy and more local authors anything that was published or advertised in. um in White Dwarf, you know, roll into Golden Heroes, um, yeah. as you said, Judge Dredd, thing, things like that. So, um, so, excuse me, pardon me. Um, so with that, let's let's talk about let's talk about the Viking verse, uh, the inspiration for this. And, you know, I understand that you you are the author of it. It is a comic. I mean, it is presented as a comic book. Uh, so, I, I, so there's.
0: Let me just jump in there because there's no, a ahead, series, There's a couple of novels and then a series of comics. So okay, the novel. Uh, the first novel I started writing in 2016, mm-hmm. um, called the All Father Paradox, mm-hmm. and that was followed by Loki's Wager um, mm-hmm. in 2019. And we can uh, I can dive into those a little bit. The 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 Jotun War series is the comic. Okay, um, so it. the Jotun War series is, um, you know, a kind of alter, all of, all of them are set in this alternative timeline where mm-hmm. the, the Norse never Christianized, and so roll on to the present day. And you know, they not only sail the seas but the stars as well. Um, and there is a whole alternate timeline map out and included in the rpg that we just launched based mm-hmm. upon this uh setting which is when the wolf comes um which is uh, then powered by rob Schwab's shadow of the demon lord rule set mm-hmm. and so that's come out this week and is on drive through uh rpg in pdf form um all of the books exist as physical things when the wolf comes will exist as a physical book at uh, 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 shortly as well we've just got to get rid of the the last few errata um, mm-hmm. by you know throwing it out to um, uh, uh, proofreaders in in the public sphere they you know many eyes, many eyes make light work but yes that's the setting. it's all right. this parallel timeline where uh, the Norse never Christianized and so a pagan present results shorn of. You know things like the Latin language, the the, the French influence, um, Sean, of all of the things that we take for granted today that permeate all of our existence because you know Christianity being a, a Western civilization is just everywhere. You know, right. From right. from saying childhood prayers to you know to you know saying Amen to the kids, saying grace to yeah. celebrating Easter and Christmas and all yeah. of those things. And yeah. I've stripped all of that away to try and create as plausible a pagan uh present setting as possible.
2: Hmm. So inspiration-wise for this, I mean, why you know why the Norse aspect of it? Was this something that you've been interested in for some time or is 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 this uh, just essentially something that came to you. I, I'm interested to, to see why you chose this particular aspect for your alternative history.
0: Yeah, yeah. so there's a few answers to that. The first is is that um, when I started writing the novels, I suffered my own personal Ragnarok, um, mm-hmm. Ragnarok being the twilight of the gods and not to put myself quite in the same category as Odin and Thor. Um, impressive, though my physique is. um <laughs> the i i I lost a company um that went down the the tubes brexit was happening um you know uh, mr trump was elected all in that same year and it did really feel like uh you know the the world had been thrown to the wolves of course you know ragnarok continues on a daily basis now that the planet is burning and uh You know, the inflation is going sky high. So, you know, it's just, but that's the essence of Ragnarok, right? It's this cyclical thing. It's this uh, fated end. Um, And so I just like playing with that. So I came up with this notion that, you know, Odin, the the all-father, who knows from... You know, knows in his bones, knows for all of his existence that he is fated to be swallowed by the wolf. Right? So you, you 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 wake up every day and you know that at some point you're going to be eaten by the wolf, and there's no way around it. So I'd like to that the toying with the idea: of how do you how do you get a it How do you get to uh, you know hit the restart button? How do you get to um, Try again. And I play a lot of video games. i worked for Electronic Arts for a long time, worked for Atari. Um, So, you know, come out of video games and with those, you get to restart. You don't get to restart life, unfortunately. (laughs) But I did come up with this notion that, okay, so what if Odin could tinker with the timelines, change things around, not become the marginalized figure played by Anthony Hopkins in Marvel movies but retain his preeminence over you know the 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 great uh, northern Germanic tradition, which extended to England. and uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the uh, one of the reasons why I like the Vikings is the part of the world that I came from was for an awful long time, uh, ruled by a guy called King Duthham, Guthrum. Uh, they took over the 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 Danes came over, carved it up England, divided it in half. Um, and uh, ran it as the, the Danelaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not really that much of a stretch to think, well, what if they didn't lose the Battle of, you know, Eddington? What if they did take Paris? What if they did take Constantinople? Because they, there was a point in uh, 872 AD, I think, where the where the, the Vikings did nearly take Constantinople, or Myclegard, as it was called. Um, and so if you just... Tweak history a little bit, then the world could have been very different. Mm-hmm. The world could have just come to the point where instead of being English or Anglish, you know, uh, the Angles being a, 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 an almost Danish tribe anyway, um, what if they just kept their gods? They kept Odin around. They didn't bother assimilating the white Christ. And mm-hmm. uh, what would the world look like? It would have meant that when the English sailed over to uh, Virginia, you know they would have, you know they would have done so under a Norse flag, under the Raven banner, and and thus the words that we're speaking in this podcast wouldn't be Anglish, they would be Norse. There you go. So that's the that's the that's the train of thought I went on then, okay, and uh, and you know and and often go on now as I as I now get into the RPG and as I get into the you know the new content that I'm creating, it's what would that world look like um, if it had the Norse empire at the root of it or at the foundation of it all, as opposed to the Roman empire, which gives us our letters and gives us our laws and gives us our architecture. Mm -hmm. Let's just change it around.
2: Interesting. So, so your, your premises then by Odin making him more predominant rather than falling, you know, into the shadows with the expansion of Christianity he pushes off the inevitable. The inevitable aspect of Ragnarok is—is is that what he's trying to do? I'm just. Yes, I mean that's the nub of it.
0: But okay. now I'm going to get into a little bit of temporal mechanics. If you wouldn't
2: mind. Okay. You? Oh
0: yeah. The, the all
2: father paradox.
0: Are you familiar with the grandfather paradox?
2: Uh, I am not. No. What? Oh, oh, you mean in in time travel? In time travel. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes. So.
0: For clarity for the listeners, you go back in time, you kill your grandfather, therefore you can't be born, so you can't go back in time and kill your grandfather, and a paradox results, right? This ever-looping um scenario. Now, there's lots of different ways to explain that paradox were time travel ever to be possible, um, you know, including the multiverse, in which you know all of these various different instances pop up a little bit like uh, you know, a, a Marvel uh, movie series. But one of the ways in which it can be best explained is just by this looping um, got interlocked time. And so time forms this loop a bit like a DNA helix. And what you've got is two interconnected, superposed states, superposited states. You might have heard of Einstein and uh, his spooky action at a distance and all of this kind of Schrodinger's cat style stuff. And I don't want to bore everyone with the, the, the quantum physics of it, but to all intents and purposes, if you've got two interlocked states, when one is positive, one is minus, Uh, One is negative and they should, when you switch one back, you know, the other one interacts with it. And so if you create these these interacted um, linked uh, superposition of timelines, then that's what you've got in the Viking verse. So you continue to have the Christian timeline that we all uh, inhabit. But then you also have this uh, interlocked. all father paradox as opposed to the grandfather paradox because Odin has created it. Odin accelerates the the uh the technological focus of the Norsemen. Um and so he you know, he gives them gunpowder uh, a little bit ahead of time. And one of I'll give you an example of what that means. So in the second uh-huh. book Loki's wager um in our history there is this uh it you know, is everyone's heard about Genghis Khan and the Mongol horde, they sweep out of uh, Asia, they they get all the way to the gates of Vienna, and they put all of what we now know as Russia under uh, the Tatar yoke, right? And there's this, there's this, you know, it's just a, this epoch-defining period of history um, now, what people might not know is that the, the Kievan Rus and you know, the, the Kiev that is under threat right now from the Russian war, um, you know, that was all, it was called the Kievan Rus because it was part of the kind of, the extended Norse orbit. Kings like Vladimir, uh, you know, Vladimir is actually, a, you know, originally a Norse name, Valdemar, same as Valdemort. Uh, Voldemort from uh, from Harry Potter, right? They're all right. they're all very much linked, they're just versions right. of the same. Same as Ian is Scottish for John and Irish is Sean for John and you know, so all of these names are linked. My point with this is that if you took that to its logical conclusion, instead of the Kievan Rus being a dysfunctional satellite state that was Slavicized, mm-hmm. being overrun by the Mongol horde, if it were part of a fledgling Norse empire then suddenly there was more of a superstate then suddenly you've got this great clash of shield war of the Norse versus horse archer and you know so i play around with that i tell that story about how the Norse uh, defend and win the siege of kiev um back in uh, 1281 i want to say um as opposed to succumb and so the you know the the Mongol Empire is still born the right. Norse arise from the Middle Ages as the equivalent of you know the, the the Holy Roman Empire the 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 dominant force in European politics to link it back into Warhammer. they're the mm-hmm. equivalent of uh, of you know, the, the Empire there right. um, but it's all much more Norse. they're not the they're not the the Kislebs of right. that setting it's 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 this northern pagan tradition mm-hmm. um, and and i think when you can you can take moments of history like that and tweak them and see right. the ramifications i think that's fascinating might just be me but i've made I, it i'm amazing.
1: i'm utterly intrigued because yeah. uh yeah listeners will know that i'm like i'm a history geek so um, and I'm utterly intrigued. So.
2: Yeah, we've we've done two episodes on on alternative history, one with Jason Sheets and the other one with Ken Height. So it, it is definitely a subject that, you know, both Keith and I enjoy. Keith is oh, more yeah. he enjoys the you know a lot of the more traditional history. I enjoy more of the uh, fantastical alternative history. But in the in the same same sense, we're, we're we're big fans of that. And that right there is absolutely fascinating because it's it's not just, hey, you know, we just changed something like, you know, it's, it's well thought out. It's the, the ramifications and the possibilities seem like that they've, you know, they, they've been, uh, they've gone through the wash a little bit to, to be presented as clearly as possible that, Oh, if, if this actually progressed like this, it's a good possibility something like this could have happened. However, fantastical it might be.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'll give you, I'll give you two more riffs if I may off that then. So the absolutely. first is, first is yeah, take life Ericsson, right? Life Ericsson, Turns up on the shores of North America, Vinland uh, mm-hmm. as he calls it, um, and he has a he has a battle with uh, the indigenous people, which he called the Skreling. Um, and this is all about a thousand AD, five hundred years before Columbus. Now, he gave it up, and his successors retreated, um, but that's because he was a dude from Iceland, and Iceland was a bunch of exiled colonists from. Norway, which was itself being assimilated into, you know, the, you know, there was a change, um, and Christianity was happening in life. Ericsson himself was, you know, was seeing all of this change. Iceland hadn't become fully Christian, but it was about to, um, so the point is, is you've got this guy who's an explorer from an offshoot colony um, of a bunch of exiles from a backwater north of the kingdom. Now switch that around and say that Charlemagne's empire never came to, to, to pass um, and collapsed and, in, and the Dane law continued to exist. So England was the kind of was the fringe of empire then you can see that life ericsson or or the version of him in the viking verse would be someone who was properly empowered in the same way as that walter raleigh or christopher columbus was 500 years later and you can see that vinland um would have been properly colonized a lot a lot earlier so yes to your point Mm -hmm. i have tried to get the the uh history right there's a guy there's a famous historian called Arnold Toynbee um, who wrote the the study of history the, this this massive 13 volume um uh text and one of the things that he puts in one of his appendix is, is is the is he does this first piece of counterfactual history, which is the abortive birthright or the, the the forfeited birthright of the abortive Scandinavian civilization. And it's a few, you know, a, a few pages long, but that was really one thing that triggered with me as well, that this great historian had thought about, well, they were so close to doing all these things and then just didn't. <laughs> but I'll give you because I know that you're a bit more fantastical, I don't want people to think that I've just weighed this down in uh you know the deepest darkest history there are fantastical elements because any good rpg has to have uh you know a magic system for example right and there has to be some kind of fantastical about this universe and you know so when you get into the Jotun war the Jotun war is a retreading of you know Vietnam and World War II and all of the all of the seismic battles of the last century, but it's told through the Norse lens. The Norse lens looking at these Norse nightmares, the Jotnar, who were the giants of Norse myth. Uh, giants being a French word. Um, you know, and we'll get onto elves and dwarves in a minute, but um, the the Jotnar are recast. Um, As kind of Christian avenging angels and the, you know, they use the DNA to, to create these creatures genetically. And it enters this world spanning war. So it's not World War II. It's the, it's the world spanning war, the newer Heimar, the nine home worlds of Norse mythology. And so it does take on this titanic, uh, world spanning, uh, fight. And that's where you start to bring in the fantastical elements. That's where you start to bring in, um, you know, my equivalent of hyperdrive, which is mm-hmm. memory drive based upon Hugen and Moogun, Odin's ravens. So you take all of this mythology um, and it just becomes the new lens, the new blueprint for how you lay out the pagan present because, you know, Norsemen wouldn't think about souls. They wouldn't think about angels and demons. You know, sorry, Rob Schwab, you know, demons are, <laughs> are, are, are chucked out now. Because you think in terms of Jotna, um, you think in terms of uh, you know, the húga the and the hammer and these Norse traditions for what the multi-part self is. You, think, you don't think in terms of fireballs and Vancian magic. You think in terms of Seda and Gand and Galda. And, uh, but the point is that all of these things were the root of D&D. They were the root of Warhammer. All of this northern magic was what inspired Tolkien, um, and Tolkien turned it into pointy-eared elves and grumpy dwarves, and he did a masterful job. Don't get me wrong, have you? Right. I'm not saying, you, know, you know. He laid the foundation for everything we know and love, but he also subverted it. He also changed it in creating his epic from those old ancient northern tales and traditions so what i've tried to do is bring those traditions back to the fore Mm -hmm. and then kind of reinterpret the whole fantasy framework through as authentic a norse lens as i can given that i'm making it all up
2: right (laughs) so so the RPG itself, um, the kind of, we'll move in and out, of course, you know, so we don't really have, you know, a set structure with this, but in regards to the RPG, um, what timeline then within the Viking verse does it essentially take place? Cause it looks looking at some of the, 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 imagery, it look it looks futuristic, like it takes place some, someplace farther in the future. At least that's, that's a lot of the look that, that it, you know, that we, we uh, from the pictures that we've looked at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Understandably. And so again, if you, technically it's a pagan present. Technically it takes place um, in the equivalent of the now, but it's a very changed now just because Odin has accelerated the timeline. Exactly. Okay. Because he's given... We shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the Norse were actually not just bloodthirsty Vikings who went on raids. They were very cultured, technologically advanced people. They sailed the world. They had excellent navigational skills and technology. And if you add to that the compass, in addition to just the kind of lodestones that they had, if you add to that the you know, the gunpowder, if you add the stirrup, if you start throwing these things in a little bit earlier, there's no mm-hmm. reason why a very savvy, industrious, um, and wily group of people couldn't, you know, just embrace these things quicker. And, uh, and, right. you know, war being this, the, the mother of all invention, you know, give them, give a Norseman gunpowder and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll do what the British did rape and pillage the world, uh, several, mm-hmm centuries earlier. Night, so, yeah so so that's why it feels slightly more technological but the, the, there was this you know the the Norse word for wizard um is is really they use you know, the, the first part of it is the wise they always talk about the wise man mm. right and wizard just is is just like die hard right die hard wizard is wise hard. It really is. The, that's the origin of it. In the same way as Richard is a name that means, uh, you know, very wealthy, richard. You know, and so all of these. Again, you come back to these, this, this, this language that's at the heart of things. A wizard was the most wise man, and um, all wizardry was is stuff that we didn't understand. And so you get Arnold's, you know, Arthur C. Clarke's Third Law. Um, You know about the fact that you know technology and magic aren't too far removed, and uh, and so I play with that as well. Um, All of the magic in the world, the spellcraft, is really just um, some version of of technology given its uh, Norse coating.
1: Is it reasonable to assume then, with the accelerated timeline, right, that the Norse got the technological advances earlier than our timeline, our real timeline. So then technology advanced at an earlier rate or at a faster rate so that the imagery that we're looking at, the guns that we see or these navigational aids that look like computer screens are things that we as modern day people may see 30 years down the road, 50 years, 100 years down the road that is that is their equivalent of our modern day here and now right i i think that's fair okay
0: i'm going to throw another wrinkle in just to completely continue to complicate things because here's the yes. here's the essence of here's <laughs> the essence of Norseness right um you know if you're they're not a god-fearing people they are People who believe that the gods are kind of there to be bothered, you know, but they're not going to rely on them. You know, they don't. Gods, what have the gods ever done for me? There's no real prayers. However, the, the, what what they do have is a real, um, a real depth of love for nature and uh, and you know the reason why you know berserkers wear bear pelts and the reason why you know the Ulf Hedna were, were were you know embraced the the power and the speed of the wolf is because these animals were very totemic. The thing what we talk about about in D D with the druid and shape changing and and spirit animals, all of that kind of stuff. It is all very Norse that naturistic side of things. They would adorn themselves with uh Animals, because the eagle was powerful, the deer was fleet, all of these kind of things, right? So, um, so I play around with that a little bit. But the crucial thing is, is they also felt that the world's tree, Yggdrasil, was the literal pillar of existence. It upheld the Heimer, the nine home worlds, the Alfheimer, the, the Heimer, Midgard. You've, you would have heard mm. all of this in Norse mythology. Now what I do, and this is where it gets most fantastical, is I make Idrassil literally real as an alien intelligence. So by that I mean, where does mankind come from? In the the Christian myth, uh, Adam and Eve. In the Norse myth, Asker and Embla. Uh, Asker and Embla are the equivalent. They are uh, people born of the tree. Mankind was born literally from a tree. And so I took that myth and I recast it so that Yggdrasil is this alien intelligence and it seeded the nine home worlds with its people, its motile servants. Humanity is effectively just a means of the tree propagating itself and surviving. And when Ragnarok happens, one of the key events of Ragnarok is the tree is shaken to its roots. the tree is assaulted. The the the, the, the creatures like nithog are devouring the roots, and uh, uh, and so you play around with all of these things. And and again, if you're if you've grown up in any kind of vaguely Christian household, you know about Armageddon. You know about the the the, the devil uh, and Satan arising. You know, all of this exists in a Norse form, and Ragnarok can be recast in it. You know, in this in this way as well, where there is an assault on this great alien intelligence, which is the tree of Drassil, um, and its servants, which is mankind. Now, if you realize, you know, as a, as a human being that hang on, there is an alien intelligence and, and it was the, you know, it literally created me, um, that changes your world view and your outlook and your religion. And so, uh, Yes, I've 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 banged on a lot about that, so I'll, <laughs> I'll shut up for a second. But the, oh, that's oh. it's a crucial it's a crucial part of it. I didn't right. want to just have people worshiping Thor and Odin because that's not real. They never did, and right. especially if you find out that you are created by a tree, well, you're going to start really worshiping the tree, not just not just patting it. You're know, in the forest every time you go past.
1: I'm further intrigued. I really, I I honestly am. Um, yeah. The idea that the the timeline was developed earlier, like things in the real in our real timeline are introduced earlier and then accelerated, so it creates this al- alternative timeline. I'm I'm really kind of intrigued.
0: Yeah, no, Well, that's the
1: that's the point. And I do. And then
0: you can right. play around with the, that kind of link between the two timelines. And the so the going back to the old father paradox. The old father paradox starts with oh, search warden in the north of England. And he's standing by something called the Gospel Cross, and it exists. It's in, it's in Cumbria, in the Lake District, this, this thousand year old cross. And, and if you and your listeners look it up, you'll see that it's carved with all of these stories of Ragnarok. It has the Fenrir Wolf. It has, uh, you know, the, the, the sun wheel at the top that's about to be swallowed. And it, it, it was, it was Norse tradition being carved in stone because that's how they told their stories. But it was also at the era where Christianity was changing and taking over things and, and the old beliefs were fading away. So I went to this cross and that was really the inspiration for that part of the story because I have this church warden. It's in the grounds of a church, a, you know, a kind of thousand-year-old church. Um, they've got these hogback tombs, these amazing ancient tombs that would have buried old Viking chieftains. Uh, and they've kind of, you know, they, they're, they're in the church, they're in this, this musty, smelly, ancient church, and uh, you can touch them, it all feels real. And so I cast this 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 setting as the old church warden, he's the custodian, he looks after this, he has all kinds of visitors, you know, who, vit- who, who visit the north of England, they visit Beatrice Potter's house, um, they're on the tour of the Lake Districts, and occasionally they see this uh, cross. He's the custodian of this cross. And then Odin comes in. Odin is an old man. He, and we always know that Odin's always in disguise. He's always, you know, appearing in some form or other and testing people. And he turns up and he, you know, he's there and he says, well, you've got it all wrong, Church Warden. You know, this cross that tells this story, you know, where I'm from, you know, things went a different way. And so it's like that old poem, right? Um, how you know you can you can you, the path less travelled, right? Um, and and that's where I go because you need someone in the present day with the present understanding to act as that uh, to act as that viewpoint on the Viking verse to say, well, hang on. Bottle for the Black, that's not a real Viking. I know about Ragamold. I know about Forstein, but I, I don't, you know, Bottle for who's this guy? And mm-hmm. Odin tells him then the story. Yeah. And as he's telling him the story, the Christian universe starts to vanish. And that might sound a bit hackneyed, but, you know, the church yeah. vanishes and the church warden finds himself becoming more and more enmeshed in the alternate reality mm-hmm. to the point where, um, you know, the, uh, you know that then becomes his mission you know to try and uh restore the balance so to speak so that that was that was the original story and it's uh-huh. just sprung into this RPG where you can now just inhabit the Viking verse and unleash your inner Viking um as if you're a modern day uh hero
2: could you
1: I know Scott's got a question but I oh no no go ahead could you play the The role-playing game, as not as the church warden, but as like as the church warden's transitioning into this kind of juxtaposition between the two timelines, but play out those stories as the the players in the in the story of the church warden and the things that the church wardens would 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 have been experiencing in the original stories.
0: Yeah, so I'll give you a couple of examples of that. So your great minds think alike. So in the in the role playing system, one of the things I added into Rob's Shadow of the Demon Lord rules was this notion of threads of fate, which are in Old Norse, ulogs thatir, right? Threads of fate. Orlog is uh, or orlo, um is the the kind of destiny of man, the inescapable destiny. So the Norse believed that you were just born with inescapable destiny. It was all mapped out for you. You can't fight against your fate, right? Um, so, the the notion there is that I give you, as games master, when you set up a character, I give you this thread of fate, and it could be that you know something from Norse legend, like uh, you you ate the heart of a polar bear. Uh, it could be that you you know just like. Uh, was thrice cursed by a norm, right? Or in the case that you know, I, I draw from my own books, and it could be that you know you were uh, you, you're in the wrong universe. You know, you're you're segueing between the two, and you don't understand why all of these pagans are suddenly in charge. Uh, so you can, as a GM, you can exactly create that story. You can have okay. you know people wandering around, uh, you know the exploring it as interlopers, as aliens. Or some of the characters can be that, right? They can be you know, uh, lost across dimensions. One of my favorite reviews for the whole series was um, that it's American Gods meets Doctor Who. And I'm a big Whovian, big Doctor Who fan. Um, and I love the time travel. I love, I love the TARDIS and, uh, and, know, yeah, going back to one of the original series, the meddling monk, right? That was uh, that was a big, uh, big inspiration as well.
2: Yeah, I, I'm a giant fan of the American God books and a couple of the follow ups to it. And you know, this the series when it lasted and whatnot, it, it did a good job. But it it was for me, uh, my introduction to a lot of you know some of the the lore mythology know, involving because you know, involved, you know the, the the central character it's not a spoiler it's it's Wooten it's 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 Odin yeah. um and, and it led me to other things and become interested in and in, um you know immerse myself in in a lot of these things and, and it led to other religions because it deals with other aspects and whatnot but uh that's fascinating because I I've said for years I would love to have a game You know, may not unlike something that existed within the American gods type universe. So that's that's fantastic Um, that whoever wrote that review is 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 is, sounds like he's spot on. So that's that's great. Um, The game itself is built upon the I guess the shadow of the Demon Lord engine. I don't know if that's the official name for it. Um, was that the original concept when you started playing with this, this idea? Because when when you created this, was there the the intent to make a role-playing game? Or was it, I'm just going to go ahead and make these novels, and then the graphic novel, and then it just kind of naturally progressed into that?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Because, I mean, the the real... I started writing books, right? So writing right. books and comics. And then... Shortly before the pandemic, I was in Seattle with some buddies over at Wizards of the Coast, um, mm-hmm. old EA chums who who had settled there, right. and they. I was over. I live in Victoria, BC, so it was a ferry ride, mm-hmm. and we popped in with the kids, and the kids were a bit younger, um, and I got given the essentials kit, you know that that box yep. starter pack, and the kids on the ferry back just didn't stop reading it. Um, <laughs> So, you know, and that's the thing, right? D and D RPGs, it is lightning in a bowl. It just, mm-hmm. it's just an imagination factory. And so there and then, and the kids were 10 and 13 at the time, and, and I hadn't role played for a while. I played, you know, through college and then, you know, uh, was, was, you know, making a living, you know, doing the dishes, all of the other things that just get in the way. Um, and, but on that ferry ride home, I said, okay, well, I we need to start playing D&D. So we assembled, a, you know, bunches of the kids' friends and started playing, and those groups are still ongoing. And through the pandemic, it was a lifeline for all of those kids and all of the people who came to the table. And so we played some multi-generational games as well. And so that really was the eye-opener for me, and that was why I decided to then write the RPG. And I started working with a guy called Darren Pierce, who was introduced by my publisher. He worked a lot with Rob. We determined that Shadow of the Demon Lord was the spiritual successor to um Warhammer and mm-hmm. you know and, and all of the things that were in my DNA. Um and love D D as I do, it, you know, it is it isn't the most elegant system, and it does start to become hackneyed, and I can't abide pointy-eared elves and short dwarves because <laughs> they're not mythologically accurate. Right. Uh, and so um you know, it was a it was put in touch with Rob and then started to work out how to. Applied that vision I had of the Viking verse to his rule set, and uh, that was a that you know it was a great system. Um But you know, uh, making an RPG, holy moly! I thought that <laughs> r- writing a novel was a marathon. <laughs> this is like an Iron Man challenge where you're doing seventeen marathons back to back because it took a long time. It's, it's, it's right. Taken- two years and we kick-started it last summer um, summer of 22 uh, and it took a further year to get polished and out and uh, no uh, yeah it's it's just one of those one of those things where you think you see the light at the end of the tunnel and then you realize that well that was just the beginning of the tunnel There's just there's so much to do so much to get right and you know Oh, yes i won't bore everyone with that but oh, no. yeah it's, no, it's I mean, a challenge writing an rpg is not for the faint-hearted
2: if if, if you want to if anyone wants an interesting insight to what you know what it is like to uh helm you know the the creation and the 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 continuing support of an rpg just pop on rob's uh facebook and you can see every other day a, a wonderful look into the um the aspects, the, the 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 jubilation and also things that uh you know cause your hair to fall out uh at an early age because he's he definitely writes the roller coaster of that. And it's it, it he kind yes, of he removes he removes the veil. It's not just we have an idea and I'm gonna get together with plant friends, we're gonna roll dice, it's gonna be yeah. perfect, and it'll be up on Kickstarter and everyone'll be happy and there'll be no complaints and it'll be published on time and and yay. Uh yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think
0: it's i think it's actually his birthday this day that we're recording i think oh. it's his birthday so happy so birthday rob if you're listening happy- to this if you if you lift your head up from the 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 the, the, the demons and the weird wizard because he's got weird wizard being up right. next week um yep. if you hear this then happy birthday rob happy May birthday demons sing you to your wherever you're often
2: <laughs> right ha- Happy birthday, Rob. And and no matter what Bud says, Thousand Thrones is not the worst thing to come from Warhammer. Um, that's that's an inside <laughs> joke, but uh yeah. yes, it is. Oh god, is it
1: an inside <laughs> joke?
2: Um, um oh, ahead, I, I do
1: want to touch briefly on um not mechanics, not setting, but I do want to talk about the art. I wanna okay. I, I do want to give a shout out to your to your artists. I, I believe you have two, maybe three artists that were involved yeah. in the role? Um, yeah. yeah,
0: there's a there's a guy called uh, Gare Kirti. Um mm-hmm. He did n- the majority of the stuff for the RPG, and he did issue four of the Jotun War. And prior to that, it was uh, Dev Prevmark, um and Dev did issues one to three. Uh, and then uh, my former publisher um, did a lot of the cover artwork, uh and so yeah, there's a guy called Jeremy Muller, and he helped bring the series to life. So kudos to all of those guys. Uh I mean it's interesting because you you you, you made the assumption yourself, it, they do kind of all feel uh like graphic novels. They all do feel um, I don't know, just 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 like they they're not just words, they're they're all of this imagery as well. So I mean, that's that's good. And I think it's a different and unique look and feel to many of the RPGs out there. A lot of people have said it feels a bit Jack Kirby. Um, and so it's a good thing, but for me also that I I just I, I sometimes wrestle with that gritty reality of uh, a lot of the Viking art that you see. And then this more cartoony style. So it's 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 been a it's always gratifying to hear that people like it and it resonates because um, sometimes just for me it doesn't quite resonate.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I like it. What I see on the the you know just scrolling through the Kickstarter page alone, I, I find those art samples fantastic. Um, they they really pop. They stand out. I get a sense of this alternate timeline that you you know you you talked about where where things were started earlier and then progressed at an accelerated rate, even though it's still the 2020s or the 2020 nows or whatever however you're calling it in the you know in the Viking verse and you know and then pulling up the comic and looking at the the art there you know and just the sample file at um, Drive Through Comics. I mean looking at it 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 just screams to me the the setting I'm digging it
2: yeah it's it's a different art style than Shadow of the Demon Lord um it's 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 also a different art style than uh, Rob's other uh, punk apocalyptic um right. it's its own thing uh so it's it's not like what what tends to occur with some other systems it's 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 essentially here's a car wrap uh it, it's pretty much exactly the same except it just looks different but this 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 seems to uh stand alone it, it's shadow the demon lord by engine but the the artwork the layout uh is is its own thing and and with that i'm curious just to kind of maybe wet the whistle of some of the listeners it being shadow the demon lord um what so if i'm making a character uh what would be some examples of maybe some origins and the paths that are going to be presented within the game for the players to choose from. Because I, I I have a feeling this is definitely going to be different than what they might be used to in yeah, Shadow of yeah, the Demon Lord yeah, and Punk Apocalyptic.
0: Yeah. Well, ju- uh, just uh, going to come straight onto that, but ju- you should go have mm-hmm. a look at Vikingverse.com okay. um, because on Vikingverse.com, you can download the whole issue one for free. Um, and you can also listen to a whole bunch of Old Norse on SoundCloud, all for free. Um, we released a book called Old Norse for Modern Times, and it has phrases. You know, if you want to say, you know, roll for initiative in Old Norse, then it's there. If you want to say, you know, uh, behold my power as dungeon master, all there in Old Norse. Um, so go to Vikingverse.com and uh, and practice your Old Norse. Um, yeah, you know, I love that's, it. Uh, yeah. It, well, well, and that was a that was a Kickstarter as well. But the whole point was, if you you know, have you ever wanted to wield the silver tongue of Loki. You know, the, the the joke on that book was, you know, never be lost for words again with this book of lost words. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. That, that's, that, it's all there for free because I want people to say things like, you know, nice tattoo in Old Norse. Mm-hmm. Um, now, origins. Yeah. Origins in a Norse-based RPG, you know, they need to come from mythology. And so I have Alpha, I have Dverga. Uh, Alpha are elves. The original, uh, you know, the, the, the inception of elves, Dvergar. Um, Varga, were born from uh, the the bones of Earth, the, the the soil of Earth. The the original Titan, uh, the original you know, Jotna, um who was called Imir, uh, and some mythologies uh, talk about them being, you know, the equivalent of maggots. Um I have recast them as uh kind of robots. They're they're born from soil and oil and uh you know the rocks and so they're not purely you know the kind of mechanical robots that you mm-hmm. that you would see in our existence, but they're they're broadly similar. And I didn't want them to be short because nowhere in Norse mythology are they short, just nowhere. <laughs> It just is so. So I recast them as these beings of the earth. Um, and there's definite elements. If anyone is, uh, is a Douglas Adams fan, there's a definite, uh, you know, Marvin, the paranoid android, feel to some sort of them. <laughs> if you're, you know, they're, 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 they're made with truncated lifespans. That's the only thing that's short about them. And so there's some kind of gaggery inherent in there uh and if you're born with that kind of blade runner-esque five-year lifespan then you'll probably be a bit pissed off as well so those you know dwarves dwarves are bad tempered um they're just not short and uh and one of the things you know just to talk about that that progression then through the path. Uh so you start off if you chose Dvergar as your origin you might you start off as a on a lowly um beginner path but as you build your character and instead of mythic, instead of master paths, I have mythic paths. By mm-hmm. the time you get to be, uh, you know, uh, the kind of warden class or the warrior class, the drekka, um, then, you know, you're, you're just bigger, more augmented, more, um, more just immense. You become mythic in yourself. So mm-hmm. you're not just a journey from, you know, a journeyman mage to a a master magician, you literally you know grow into the role because a lot of these Norse characters were large in life. Um and they did embrace um you know kind of mysticism or different aspects of their inner self. Um and so You know, again with the jotnar, the jotnar is another origin based upon that kind of genetically engineered giant bred for war, augmented with animal parts and animal, uh, you know, DNA. And you know why? By the time you get to the the mythic path, there that's where you can become a real troll. Now, troll in the again in the mythic sense was a troll was a was a magician wasn't wasn't the kind of um, you know strange big-nosed teeth under under-the-bridge dwelling entity that we know it was you know to troll troller was to enchant. And so again we get come back to the language, right? Because a, 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 a troll was through Christianity turned into this bridge dwelling monstrosity. Originally, they were these kind of uh, enchanting, um, sometimes evil, but not really. You know, they're more more just beings of nature, and mm-hmm. so the jotnar can become a literal troll. A lotnar can become a literal lindworm. A lotnar, not like a a jotnar. Easy for me to say after all of this time writing Norse books. Can become a a Thurs. Um, You know, and all of these words drawn from Norse mythology. So you, you start off humble, but you become these titanic beings. Alfar as well. Alfar, you were really demons of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhere along, you know, Christianity and then the Victorians putting fairies at the end of the garden, things shrunk. Things shrunk because yeah. Christians didn't want them to be anything apart from a marginalized figure. you know, mm-hmm. they, they, Sunday school banished these things to the edge of the garden and to, to the the remote bits of our fantastical mindset. But these were demons of the dead that haunted battlefields and took the warriors uh, who were worthy into into Valhall. And so, uh, you know, my alpha are, are, are similar. They are born of Yggdrasil. They are the avenging, uh, they're, they're kind of like the white blood cells of Yggdrasil because real trees don't have white blood cells. Um, they they have to kind of cauterize their own wounds. Um, my alpha, during the great scream that happens during Ragnarok, are thrown out by Yggdrasil as it's equivalent of Avenging Angels. They are cold-hearted creatures. They might look a little bit like treebeard. They might look a little bit like Ents, but they are uh, you know, ruthless scions of Drazzle. And that's much more akin to what they were back in the Dark Age myth before Christianity turned them into the Los Alpha and the Doc Alpha and the you know and before Snorri Sturluson, who was our only real source for uh, a lot of Norse mythology, but it's contaminated by Christianity the whole time. So I've tried to strip it out, and nothing against Christians. Nothing you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to knock you know what people believe in. I'm just trying to say that in my universe I've created. I've tried to exorcise that, and I've chosen right. that for purpose.
2: Keith and I, I know, we're just like at, at your every word. We're just absolutely oh, fascinated yeah. with with all of this. Not what we were expecting, obviously. I mean, we we did a little nope. bit of look into it, but we wanted to hear. You know, we wanted to get it from, uh, you know, from the I source. Have to find my
0: marketing person then, if they're not uh, <laughs> they're not doing a good job of conveying all of this.
2: No, you oh, are. I this am my fan- marketing
0: person. Yeah. yeah.
2: No, I mean it's 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 absolutely fascinating, and this this I can assure you that you know when whenever we conclude this it's going to be something that Keith and I are, are going to be looking into and and recommend it also. Um, but so 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 we've got we've got the you know we've got the player characters, you know we've got a couple of examples of what they can choose from. I assume that it expands out from those few examples and you know similar and yeah, and branch there ten, out. There's ten,
0: to... 10 origins and okay. then a whole bunch of paths and the paths. You start off as the wise, the outlander, and they're Mm -hmm. archetypes, and they're very similar to, um, you know, to what Rob has has got in his original pubs. They have a scald um, as opposed to a bard, Um, and then it moves on through the expert classes, very similar to anyone who's played Shadow, but you just you know you have the uh, the thread rider, the Varangian. Um, you have the the number which I love that a, some of it is drawn from modern Icelandic and the portmanteaus that they create to describe um, you know, modern words and so so again it's you, these are things that you might recognise the classes okay. are echoes of ROMs. but right. what I've done is I've also made sure that if you do want to learn, learn Old Norse you know, you you have the old norse name for every spell every monster every class uh you know to so that you can tussle with that as you um it's like a language course and an rpg all rolled into one now, do, do, you, do, you, do you do you have <laughs>
2: do you do you have the um uh the norse equivalent spell for shadow of the demon lords a uh, hateful defecation uh, or did you just not want to go back? <laughs> How did that I one? know you were gonna have that?
0: <laughs> I do have You do. <laughs> I, no 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 not quite, no, not, no, quite okay. not quite not quite, not quite, but I do have fart runes which are which are uh, fret which are fret runa. Because because what I've tried to do is come up with things from the sagas that I can substantiate, right? So I know that uh, the old Norse magicians carved fret runa, fart runes to make okay. people uh, you
1: know, all right, diverge <laughs> their bowels, so it is in right. a sense
0: hateful dedication. That that first just part, makes but, my
1: inner seven year old happy. Oh, god, <laughs> well, I mean. Rob.
0: Rob actually, as he looked through in one of his first passes, checking things, he he did actually put a note on that in the Dropbox and said, Really, is this not a spell mistake? No, it's actually fart moons, it's a level zero spell. <laughs> nice. Um, for but so. But generally speaking, the traditions yeah. are all, like I said, they're drawn from um, the sagas, and so they are words that will be unfamiliar to people. But you know, Galdar is is uh, you're chanting spells, mm-hmm. and the reason why we have enchantment is because we used to chant spells in the Norse tradition. They used to bang a drum, a bit like a band today, like you know, like Helvuna. Um, they'd bang their winnowing drum and they'd call out to the spirits, and that was the basis of magic. It wasn't this impermeable chaos that was around, or it wasn't the the the, the bright energy of Warhammer wizards. It was just the spirits, and the spirits were the people who died and were still around to help you out. And a lot of right. yeah, so there's not necromancy, but right. there are. Necro pants, and if you haven't come across necro, have you come with you? You're looking perplexed. Nec- necro pants in the, there's a there's a museum in Iceland.
1: I'm familiar with the the necro pants at the museum. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've seen the
0: articles. <laughs> you see so necro pants are literally the the flayed skin of a friend who, after they were dead, you were allowed to get their flayed skin. You wore these necro pants. Um, I call them corpse breeches, and as the artifact in the game, and as long as you put. A gold coin in the scrotum of your dead friend's uh, skin that you were wearing as pants, then you would duplicate that and be eternally wealthy. So necro pants are this summer's fashion, and uh, I in the Viking verse they are the
1: fashion of the season. (laughs) (laughs) So on the character creation and stuff like that, is there any? interchangeability or interoperability with the original game as far as like paths and the archetypes between yeah. Rob's original game and yours I know obviously they're they're named differently but could could a player of the original game you know kind of take something from that and bolt it into the Viking verse or yeah, yeah, is it yeah, meant yeah. To I be? think
0: I think pretty much I think pretty much I do have a there's a couple of things where I reference that there's a you know I talk about uh you know if you really want to play a goblin artificer uh then you know on earth then you can you know transport him to midgard and vice versa right so you can do that if you want to play viking age games that are more traditional sword and sorcery Then well, of course you can i mean you just strip out the guns um and you strip out the the spaceship stuff and you just make it um you know, running around, you know, fighting giants as opposed to fighting Jotna. Right? Right. So so you can strip it all away. And I know for some people, um, they prefer that fantasy setting. And they do want to just be plain old Vikings as opposed to space Vikings in inverted commas. Yeah.
1: Game masters and players being just that, game masters and players have their preferences. And if something's already eighty or ninety percent of the way to that preference, and it's just a matter of taking this from over here and bolting it in and doing a little whoopsie daisy change change-a-roo and they have what they want now at 100% then they're they're more apt to do that so yeah, I think it's that. I
0: think it's very easy to do um I mean the key changes of things like you know instead of corruption you know I have honor and shame because those are a, a, a key part of sure. the Norse outlook and if you're going to play um a Norseman, then, you know, I'm not worried about being lawful good or lawful neutral or, you know, lawful all of the various alignments. I'm, I'm right. But, but honour is integral because um, you have to behave in a certain way to benefit your community. Otherwise, you're cast out and you become a niffing, um and are scorned and uh, are... are are basically able to be killed at will, so you know there's a, you you can be shameful, you can be a, a, a nasty piece of work, um, of course. Like play it how you like, but just understand that the rest of society won't like you very much, even for a setting in the middle of Ragnarok where everything is going to rack and ruin. So of course, I'm very aware that people want to play it their way, and and you can. Just strip out the guns. Just change the references to to DNA and physics and make it mystical again. Right, make okay. it magical as opposed to scientific, and then you'll be uh, you'll be absolutely fine. The point for me really was the authenticity and the setting, as you can tell, because I've described you know the Mongols and various other parts you know i have laid out the entire timeline of this entire of this universe so choose your point choose your point choose your technology level for that point and play it how you will and in my futuristic version the nine home worlds are reachable as exoplanets that you can reach through with thought and memory drive if you want to go back to the kind of more mythological concertina version of of them where Jotunheim was just over the Elvere River and you could walk there through the icy waste with thought. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, it's 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 all of these things are just a matter of perspective, anyway, right? Mm-hmm. That's what that's that's what we're doing. Igdrazzle isn't in the old world an actual alien entity, it's just an important part of the world view. Mm-hmm. Um is easy to easy to strip it back. And just run around. Um, just make sure your battle axes aren't double bladed because oh my god, that's not a thing either.
2: Um horn helmets? No, no, no not. Oh,
0: horn. don't <laughs> start me on that. Wagner, no. Wagner has a lot to answer for.
2: <laughs> oh. So uh, be, before we, before we wrap up here, I'd like to know, I know you were kind of in the, you know, the the latter part of you're getting your, your fulfillments for for the RPG out. And, you know, you're once that's all done, it's going to be coming to the general public. Uh, but uh, is there anything, you know, coming uh, from, you know, in addition to what what you've what you've just done for uh, when the wolf comes? Um, is, is, is is there is there a moment where there's going to be a large campaign that deals with Ragnarok? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
0: um, so yes what i've done thus far is uh 2 3 weeks ago the v- early version went out to kickstarter backers it is right. all available on drive through RPG for everyone right now yeah we got to a whole we got to a copper level um in the first few days so that's something nice, nice. um it's my birthday on monday so if anyone can mm-hmm. help me get to to silver level by my birthday then that would be that would be super 3 days Three days to save the world. Um, What there also is, though, released alongside that, if you go into the the Schwab store, um, Mm -hmm. are the first four adventures. Um, Okay. I call them sagas because, uh, you know, rather than campaigns for obvious reasons. Um, And the first campaign, the first four sagas, which take you from uh, novice through, you know, uh, up to the cusp of expert is the thought and memory saga and the thought and memory saga is, is up there. Three parts. The intro, which describes the whole setting is available entirely for free. Technically, it's pay what you want, but go on to drive through, download that. Um, and that explains all 11 chapters that are to come. The, the first adventure, which is called Nobody Dies in Hout Makar. Um, which is a misnomer because it can go horribly wrong, and everyone can die in the first five minutes, and there's be a very short <laughs> campaign. But in wow, theory, it's called cool. right. nobody dies in Hapakar. That's included in the rulebook because I thought that was important to give people a taste of home gang and a taste of you know legal disputes because that's very you know I, I know mm-hmm. not many RPGs are full of legal disputes, but Norse stuff was. They were very legal people, um, and it also sets the scene and you know and and there's. There's Ispion, which are polar bears. The whole setting is there. And uh Adventures 2, which is the Book of Daniel, Adventure 3, which is the Ghost Signal, Adventure 4, which is um eluding me right now. But oh no, it's called Finn Bogey's Wake, which is a terrible pun on Finnegan's, Finnegan's week. wake. Finnegan's <laughs> wake. But um but Finn Wake. And so the fir- those ones are all out there, and they tell the story of this interpolated universe. Um, they tell you, so so you get some Christian echoes in there. I won't spoil it too much. You get a draugr, the 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 Norse equivalent of a kind of zombie vampire. Um, there's uh, there's some jotnar in there. There's you know there's a good old fashioned um, retelling of the the of Thor's fishing expedition um and again using myth to kind of tell these stories with for the players to take part in them in their own right. way. So th- and then the rest of the campaign is all written. it's all being laid out. I ha- had a duty to get those first four to Kickstarter backers. We will bundle everything up. right now you can play them as a kind of sequenced individuals uh individual sagas we'll bundle them all up. all 11 will be there. It will come with eventually the full Space Vikings Expansion Pack, which which introduces people to more uh, ships and space battles because that's important. The essence of being a Viking is getting on board a ship and going raiding. So I wanted to give that its futuristic bent. It's all written. Um, It just needs to be laid out and released. Um, And then, yeah, uh, in an ideal world, I'll keep going doing this. It's taken over from the novels and comics because it's genuinely more fun to play out these stories around the table than it is to write them in a novel that, you know, some people read. But, you (laughs) know, it's not like I'm on the Times or or, or the the New York Times or, as I like to joke, the the Jorvik Times (laughs) list. Um, I'm on that. I'm on the Nerva Jorvik Times. But uh, yeah, the, the the novels were fun. I think I've just advanced it into this interactive storytelling that I find fascinating. And yeah, the novels, the novels and the comics were a great bedrock for all of this. Mm-hmm. If I can just carry on writing adventures, uh, sagas and rules in my spare time, whilst I you know, do business things in the real world. That's great. Keeps me, keeps me, keeps me sane, keeps me happy, um, and keeps me speaking old Norse and confusing the hell out of everybody.
2: Nice. <laughs> well, hopefully it'll keep all the people that are discovering your game happy too, because it sounds like with you know, with with the the copper is just the beginning. And I and I and I definitely um you know hope and wish the game much success, but it, it does seem that it's in good hands and it's going to progress as such. So um Anything else, Ian, you would like to uh you know you would like to mention uh before we round up our episode today?
0: I don't know. I think that's I think that's all good. I would just say that anyone who does want to I don't know, it's kind of to be a part of this. One of the things mm-hmm. that I've done with the Kickstarter back- backers is I've drawn them into the game, right? Literally mm-hmm. drawn. One of the things was, you know, if you like the art style, you know, you can be part of the saga. You can be one of the guys in the backdrop. It can be a part of the rule book. And so some people are. Similarly, with the adventures, some people are part of it. But the, the, the fascinating thing with this as well is you can Norsify everybody. I'm not just talking about putting a beard and a helmet on them. I'm about, talking about making them a Norseman. So, you know, Rob Schwab, for example, becomes uh, Schrobata Schweiber. And that sounds like a mouthful, but that's what he would have been called back in the day. Robert is originally an old Norse name and Schwab means to come from a certain region of Germany. And that would be Schwaber. And so I just like the idea of, you know, there's, a, there's, there's a way to take what we've got today, strip it back down to its core DNA, draw it into the game, Norsify it and, um, and you don't have to speak old norse to play this game of course that would be ludicrous because um you'd end up spitting ever everyone and that's where the phlegm comes in
1: oh uh, right? yeah but, i was just about to ask about the phlegm
0: but, but but you should be able to just get a sense of it through the language right. um and and stripping yourself back to your you know your norse uh self i mean i i i worked out what mine was as well it's something like uh yeah, Eon. So my my pen name is uh, Ian Stuart Sharp, which would be Eon Stiverder Scarpi. Right. So you know, it's not too far. That's the point. It's all always goes. Charles right. Darwin, Carl Deevan, Albert Einstein, Albrecht Einstein, and, you know, so just just it just adds a little bit to it as opposed to being called Aragorn Strider or you <laughs> know, uh, Afos the Pointy Eared Elf.
2: Well, the, the, well, the original names for uh, Bilbo and Frodo were a bit different too, but uh, they weren't really Norseified. They were more uh, sex toys. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and on um... that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> Or close to it I mean we've all read that come on you know they were just notes but we've all seen them um yes so uh Ian thank you so much for coming by this has been absolutely wonderful and fascinating um I I, I hope that uh that you were you know you you feel like you were able to present uh, uh the Viking verse uh at, at its full I, I I guarantee you people are gonna hear, listen to this episode and they were gonna go check out the game. Uh, And and it's something that um, being a big fan of Robert Schwab, being a big fan of Shadow the Demon Lord, it definitely sounds like, you know, two good things have come together here to to present a a great alternative to a game. And the fact that the you know that you're handling, you know, this 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 Norse aspect, this Norse mythology with with, you know, a lot of care and attention, uh, you know, makes it a, um, a lot more enticing than than just. Let's put our plastic cap with horns on, put on a fur vest and grab our double bladed axe and you know, go knock 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 and over. Go be a, Bobby
0: the barbarian.
2: Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Um <laughs> So, but no, again, thank you so much. This this has been absolutely wonderful. Keith? Yeah, thank you. I'm
1: I'm enlightened. Uh I've I'm not a veteran Shadows of the Demon Lord player. However, I am a big history lover history gamer so this really as i said earlier this is this is something that's really intrigued me so i am i'm going to go grab me a digital copy this evening and probably get lost in it over the weekend <laughs> and um fortunately for me my wife's going to a bri- uh, bridal shower tomorrow so i have plenty of time to get lost in it so it works that's out for super. me that's yeah. super but uh, yes, well, thanks, thanks for, for coming on guys. the show and enlightening both Scott and I and our listeners. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, I, I hope and wish you the most success possible with this and the future saga series of sagas. Uh, I look forward to seeing those all bundled up and put together in a um, print version and made that made available as well. So, yeah,
2: yeah. And feel feel free to come back on anytime. Absolutely, you know, something we comes up again, I'd love to have you back.
1: You, you just, you just called me
0: up, and as, as you can tell, I don't get to speak about Vikings and Norse because my wife doesn't really like it that much. <laughs> so, so when I get invited onto something like this, I just go. Blah, 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 blah.
2: That's that's how we handle that's That's why we did the podcast, Ian, because, I mean, our wives wives don't want to talk about this stuff either. No, (laughs) this this (laughs) is our platform to just blah, blah, blah. And and there you go. You had asked earlier, you know, what's the length of the podcast? The length of the podcast is as long as we feel like talking. So So. you, you turn us on and blah, blah, blah. So. All right. That wraps up this interview with Ian. I think it
1: will. Now a few words about our Patreon. Hey Titterpigs fam, just a quick reminder We do have our Patreon going on It's patreon.com slash titterpigs You can show your support there We have two tiers for you A $3 and a $6 tier So show us some love And be part of our growing
2: community And speaking of our growing community I'd like to give a shout out to our current patrons Thank you so much to Dr. Mitch Jason Sheets Bud's RPG Review Dwayne Costa William Payne Lupus Malum Salt Heart And Patrick Mullen.